As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city all right, welcome back to Straight from the Source. Michael Russo coming to you for a season-ending Minnesota Wild live rap, uh, live room, live rap, live room, whatever. Um, unfortunately, Jeremy Rutherford is not here because the Wild got ousted by the St. Louis Blues in uh, six games, so this will be my first solo live room since before the playoffs. Obviously, uh, you know, disappointing end for the Minnesota Wild. Had 53 wins, 108 points, 113 points, fifth best record in the National Hockey League. And then for the seventh straight series in the playoffs, they lost. And uh, disappointing uh, end to a very exciting season. I know Wild fans were extremely disappointed. I expected to continue to be covering the Wild uh, for a little bit longer, but they faced a great, great St. Louis Blues team who just played better than the Wild. Um, they made the better adjustments. They played better. They showed their experience throughout the playoffs. And uh, when you look and dissect the Wild's playoff round as a whole, they just, um, you know, there were just a lot of no shows in the postseason, and that just can't continue. Um, Bill Guerin and Dean Evison met with the media yesterday. Um, and basically uh, discuss their disappointment. They're almost um, shock that the team just did not uh, handle adversity as well as they did all season long. This is a um, team that usually um, is in a position where they they just like uh, you know comebacks, adverse positions in the in games. This team usually handled it perfectly. And for some bizarre reason, in games 
five when they needed to after they gave up that goal at the end of the second period. They just sort of floundered. And then game six going into the second period as well, when they gave up the bad goal to Nick Letty, it just seemed to change everything. And there was just some, you know, what what Dean Evison always likes to say is that they caught it or there was no sag on the bench and they saw the opposite of that. So they're going to have to try to figure out exactly why that is. Um, players need to be better. Um, it is just, it's unfortunately, uh, that's just the way that things came. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov showed throughout the playoffs that he was up to the task and other guys that were so good in the regular season, um, did not. And there were just a lot of disappointing performances, a lot of disappointing efforts. And now the wild have to figure out what they can do, um, heading into, um, this, uh, this off season. There's not a lot of flexibility. Um, yesterday, Bill Guerin, uh, made it very, very clear that he wants to bring Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot back. Now, um, the one thing I will say as a cynic, and I am a natural cynic, all Wild fans know that, is um, he, there's no doubt that he wants to bring Marc-Andre Fleury back. But if Marc-Andre Fleury has better opportunities elsewhere, say Pittsburgh, say Colorado, if Darcy Kemper, who's a free agent, doesn't come back there, there are going to be a lot of opportunities for Marc-Andre Fleury uh, in free agency if the Wild don't sign him first. You almost, if you're Bill Guerin, have to talk up Cam Talbot yesterday. You you have to say you want this tandem back. Because if Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't come back, Cam is your guy, and he's the one that's under contract for another year. So part of me wonders, does he really mean that he wants to come back with this tandem, or is he just saying it now because he knows that there's not it's not 100% that he's going to get Marc-Andre Fleury to resign here? We'll see. Um, you know, Perhaps they even have some sort of handshake deal that he's going to come back. They'll have to figure that out. Um now, coming back with Flurry and, Ta- and Talbot actually makes a lot of sense. If you could sign Flurry to a one- or a two-year deal and have Talbot in the last year of his deal, that would buy time to maybe Jesper, Jesper Wallstadt to uh, develop in the minors, and then you bring him up, and you, he could back up one of them. It also, if you have one or both on a one-year deal next year, it gives you a trade option at the deadline next year. So it wouldn't shock me if this is something that he is planning, but uh, again, um, you know, I don't think it's just a hundred percent that he wants to come back with a flurry Talbot tandem. I think he's, it's one of those things as a GM, you have to say, uh, because if flurry doesn't come here, you need Talbot to have a clear head coming back next season as the guy. So that's the thing with uh, the flurry thing. And as far as Fiala, I mean, look, it, you know, I've said it all, all year long. I've been talking about this for basically a year ad nauseum. And I, I know it probably irritated a lot of fans. It certainly irritated Anthony LaPanta, my co-host of my other podcast, um, but I've been convinced for a year that they were going to trade him this summer, no matter what happened. I, you know, when they bought out Parisian Suter last year, that essentially bought them a year with Kevin Fiala. Um, and then all year long, when they spent $8.2 million on extensions for Greenway, Merrill, Goligoski, and Jost, that just tells you that they're not, that Fiala is, they're just making life more difficult on themselves by signing those guys. So um, you, the, the point there being is that if you were going to, if you really changed your mind and were trying to free up space to make sure that you could afford Fiala this summer, you wouldn't just sort of frivolously be spending on Tyson Jost and Alex Goligoski, especially in the midst of a, of a bunch of healthy scratches. So I think when, when Bill Guerin has said all season long that it's clear in my head what I'm doing this offseason, um, you know, I know what I'm doing this offseason. I mean, he's given so many hints. I think that he has just basically said that he's cont- he honestly uh, is at peace with what he has decided as an organization, and that is to is to trade Kevin. The only way to get around that would be to trade Matt Dumba. It's it's basically the only way. Um, you know, uh, like can't you trade Cam Talbot? You still got to replace him with a backup. 
you trade Dmitry Kulikov. All right, that's two and a quarter. What's that really getting you long term to get Fiala under a long term deal at seven or eight? So I just think that's the way it goes. Matt Dumba, um, one year left at six million dollars, a modified no trade clause, which means that he can pick ten teams that he can't be traded to. There has not been a big market for Matt Dumba in the past. Um, you know, I just don't think that that trading Matt Dumba would uh, is something that that he's looking to do this offseason. But we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, at some point you got to make a decision on Matt also, regardless of Kevin Fiala's situation, because it just feels like he is uh, always, always, always getting hurt um, in season with just the weirdest injuries. It obviously affected him to the point that they couldn't put him on the power play in the playoffs as well. Um, Dean Evison said going into the playoffs that he wasn't shooting the puck exceptionally well. So honestly, just not a, you know, it's one of those things where I just think that Bill Guerin's going to have to make a decision long-term, regardless of Fiala, what is going to happen with him in the future here. Um, let me go through some chat questions and then we'll pull up people from the live audience as well. Um, again, with the live audience, sometimes there's a bit of a lag. So I'm going to probably call out people early. If you are in the live audience, if you can mute your phone now, Otherwise, we'll hear f- feedback when you come on up. Um, let me just see any other chat questions here. Um, Tony asks, uh, thank you, Michael. Does it annoy pe- you when people call you Mike? Uh, no, most people call me Mike uh, or Russo. Um, only my like grandmother used to call me Michael. Um, Ryan asked, does Kulikov get traded this offseason? You know, that is, that's an interesting thing to me. Like At some point... If this organization still believes that Kalen Addison is an NHL player, you've got to free up spot spots, and they have seven defensemen right now. If you include restricted free agent Jake Middleton in the fold next year, you have Middleton, Spurgeon, Brodine, Dumba, uh, Kulikov, Galagoski, and Merrill. So uh, if Addison's going to play, somebody's going to either you know he's going to have to take somebody's job in camp and get that person traded, or he, or they're going to have to make that that open spot this offseason. So. Um, Kulikov to me is somebody that makes a lot of sense to trade. Uh, yes, it, it, but I'm not sure that he's going to do it. Um, let's see. Uh, Josh Eshes never thought I'd see a day where Jared Spurgeon is mentioned in the same breath as people like Todd Marsh, Tom Wilson and Brad Marchand, but here we are. Um, Jaden asks, will the reverse retros come back, coming back next year? Are they delaying the third Jersey another year? That is a Yes. They are. Um, sorry, let's get going on the uh, the audience. Let's see if it works. Uh, Nicholas, you're going to be first up. Hey, Mike, first off, the next time you talk to Deb, make sure you say, hello. I said hello. Uh, I will. I will definitely do that. Um, my hockey-related question, is you kind of got to it right away with Dumba, but I guess do you think that there would be any value in getting rid of that salary this year being as the cap hell that they're in, or, or is that just not going to be an option you think with Billy Guerin? Um, I think, I think it would be a luxury if you're willing to, uh, if you, one, you'd need a replacement for him. And you know, the question I have is, does the organization think that Addison is an adequate replacement for Matt Dumba? But in terms of the extra cap space, it absolutely would, because even if you don't use it for Fiala, you can go out and actually spend in, in, in free agency. And there's a lot of good players in free agency this year. So right now, the Wild um, don't really have uh, the cap space to go out and make a big impact in free agency. But if you all of a sudden trade Matt Dumba, you definitely have that ability. So um, I think, it, you know, again, this is regardless of what they could use that money for, whether it's Fiala or not, who knows? Um, I just, I just, um, you know, uh, you know, I just think at some point you're going to have to make this decision on Matt Dumba. 
you know, are you going to extend his contract? And if you are, is he going to take a haircut on his $6 million? That is something that maybe, um, you know, Bill Guerin addresses this offseason. Remember, Matt Dumba and Kevin Fiala actually have the same um, agent. So, you know, whatever decision, if they extended Matt Dumba, it would actually affect Kevin Fiala or vice versa. So that's an interesting dynamic here. What's up, Lonnie? Mike, how are you? Good. What's going on? All right, so I've been on board with almost every one of the moves that Billy has made, but there's one that still baffles me a little bit, and that was, and especially maybe even the timing of it, and that was extending Galagoski. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is that is it possible that when Billy originally signed him, that that was a little bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge? Yeah deal and this is um the extension was just a result of billy being true to his word i think that's exactly what it was um look when the wild signed um alex galagoski last summer it was at one year 5.1 if i remember correctly was that what it was but if you remember the reason why the wild the the wild wanted to you know galagoski's um, market value would say be in the fours, but on a long-term deal, the wild couldn't afford on a multi-year deal. The wild cap space wise couldn't afford to give them that. They were able to do it in the one year because of the Parisian suitor buyout, but they weren't able to do it. So I think what they decided, what they told them, even though technically it's not allowed is like, look, um, after January one, we'll sign you to an extension at a significant haircut, two and a half, three, two, whatever it is. And um, that would essentially make you whole. We're giving you the multi-years. You're doing us a favor on the one-year 5.1 and all that type of stuff. Then all of a sudden, they they extend John Merrill. They extend Jordan Greenway. Um, they acquire Tyson Jost. And nothing was happening with Alex Goligoski. And I think the belief by a lot of people, including me, was that maybe Goligoski was somebody that at his age, even though he was a plus 40-something, that they just started to get a little worried about his age and being sort of, you know, uh, not somebody that they wanted to commit to for another couple of years. They get past the trade deadline, and with cap space at a premium, my radar was completely off that they would even do it. In fact, I was at the um, GM's meetings with Bill Guerin all weekend, and there was no hint that this extension was coming. And then all of a sudden, I'm driving down to Fort Lauderdale Airport, and I get a tip on my phone that, hey, a Galagoski, uh extension is coming down the pike. And at that point, I don't know if you remember, Billy was driving, flying home already from the... Um, from the uh, from the GM's meetings, I couldn't second source it with him, and so I just didn't go with it until it was basically announced, if I remember correctly. Um, odd timing because he was in the middle of being scratched three straight times. Uh, that include that that those scratches cost him playing his thousandth game this year. Um, then in the playoffs, he scratched a couple times again. So I, I I agree with you. I just think that it you know it was another example of Bill not. Uh, worrying about saving cap space, which to me tells me that they're that they were sort of already deciding. Well, you know what? If we're going to spend two million on Alex Galagoski, we don't need that two million on Kevin Fiala. So, um, definitely a strange move. The the other move that's interesting to me is the is uh, Nicholas Delorier. You know, I, I'm I'm wondering if the Wild would want him back on maybe like a league minimum deal. I don't know if he would take something like that. Um, the deal made sense at the time to get more sandpaper in the regular season, but, you know, and maybe it was because he was injured, but he wasn't very effective in the playoffs. And he's the type of guy that I do wonder, I think he has value in the regular season. 
and it makes sense to maybe try to bring him back. But pl- not playing Connor Durr over him, I think, is something the Wild are going to you know, sort of look back on and say they made a mistake. And I, I do wonder if they bring somebody like Delorier back, if they just even decide he's somebody that we value in the regular season because he can protect guys like Caprice, Fiala, whoever. But in the playoffs, maybe when there's no fighting and the games sort of um, you know, are played between the whistles, if it's not valuable to play him. And I just sort of wonder if they'll um, you know, have that rationale. Um, got a question here from David F asking if can Lambos play in Iowa next year? Um, he cannot, he is, uh, somebody that, um, uh, because he's going to be less than 20 and he's in the Canadian hockey league, he can only either make the wild or he'll have to return to his junior team. But Ryan O'Rourke and Damon Hunt are expected to start, um, in Iowa. Um, somebody asks, and I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of questions on the audience. What is the most likely trade partner for Fiala, Ottawa, or New Jersey? I think there's a lot of teams that are going to have the money and the assets to acquire Kevin Fiala. Um, you know, a, a team that makes a ton of sense that Elliot Friedman wrote about yesterday was, uh, the LA Kings. They make a ton of sense. Um, and to me, Kevin Fiala is the type of player that probably would want to play in a big market anyway. Um, so I think that, you know, LA would be enticing to him. Remember the biggest dynamic here with Kevin Fiala is because he's one year from unrestricted free agency. I think any team that's going to give up a haul for him is going to want to know that he's going to resign there. And so, um, you know, that, that could be one of those things where eventually Bill Guerin and his agent are going to, ha- or Bill Guerin's going to have to allow his agent to talk to other teams. If it looks like a trades in the offing here, because if you're Ottawa and you're willing to say, give up the seventh pick and a top prospect for Kevin Fiala, I would think that you'd want to know that Kevin's actually going to be willing to resign there. And so I don't know if that trade can happen without them having that sort of, that sort of insight. Uh, Garrett, you're next on the stage. Let's see if you come up. There you are. What's up? Hey Mike, nice to hear from you. Yeah, you too. What's up? So I kind of want to switch gears slightly. Is there any insight you can you can shed on what it's like being a writer and being with the team, almost being a part of the team and having a first round exit like this? Is there kind of any emotion that goes along with that? Like, is it obviously I'm sure you're bummed, but is there anything you can share just for us to kind of get insight on it? Well, um, you know, I mean, the way I always look at it is I'm definitely not part of the team. Like I, uh, like it's like the Wild win the cup. I'm not getting a ring. I'm not getting a bonus. I'm not uh, getting a day with the cup. <laughs> you know, things like that. I mean, look. I mean, uh, I'll be quite honest. I mean, uh, yeah, you want to cover a team, especially in this market that's going to go on a long playoff run. So it it definitely bums you out from that perspective. We all want to cover that, but. The reality is, is that you just go into your new mode and it's, it's almost as stunning as it is for the players. Like, you know, I think Marcus Foligno said right after the game, the, uh, after game six, like six, I can't believe that I'm sitting here right now in this situation. And Kaprizov had sort of the same thing that he said to us in his Monday press conference. And that's sort of the way I am. It's like all of a sudden you just, that reality hits, all right, you got to write the season ending story and then you got to get into, you know, season ending mode. And it sort of just changes right away when, you know, when they were up 2-1 in the series, I was already looking at hotels in Denver. So it just changes right away. Um, But my, my, you know, my, my job now continues. I, I cover their off season. Uh, you know, the good part of being, you know, in the athletic too, is that uh, I'm going to get to still cover the playoffs. That's part of my role at the athletic is being a senior writer and, and helping out with our national coverage is I'm, I'm expecting that I'm going to around June one, go to the Eastern conference final. I'm supposed to cover the Stanley cup final. Obviously everything's subject to change, but so from my perspective, I'll at least get to be at that stuff, but I would love for wild fans sake, um, that they would get to 
um, you know, experience something like that because this is seven straight playoff losses. And after a year like the Wild just had to have it end so abruptly um, with, you know, a really disappointing playoff run. I mean, it, their four losses were essentially all blowouts. There were no close games in this series. Um, you look at the final stats and you realize how many no-shows they had. I mean, they had a lot of really disappointing performances from the goaltending to their player, their top blue liners to, um, you know, everybody but Kaprizov up front. I mean, everybody. You know, I was thinking the other day about how Matt Boldy, how Wild fans were so pissed off at at um at at uh um at uh Billy Guerin for not playing him in the Vegas series, and he almost actually played in Game Six. But I mean, I think Matt Boldy just had a big time learning lesson that the game is very very different in the playoffs, and um I think this will help him next year. But he had a very disappointing playoff, and I think that affected. The entire line, Goudreau was disappointing, and I, effect, I think that affected Fiala. And so, um, you know, you could same thing, same thing with Zuccarello and Hartman. Um, so there were a lot of disappointments in the playoffs, and I think that's what was stunning for all of us to see it end. Is that you know the, this depth that we talked about all season long, and and so many good, so many good players all season long, all the incredible achievements that they had individually as a team, and to see it just end, um, very, very, very stunning. Uh, Robert C says, "What is the plan for Rossi next year?" I asked that question to Bill Guerin the other day, uh, yesterday, and he basically said that they expect him to try to make the team this this year. I deep down personally think that they have all season long put him in the minors to develop properly because they have always felt that he would be the guy that next year would replace Kevin Fiala in the lineup. Now, is he going to replace his eighty five points as a rookie? No, definitely not. But, um, you know, it really, if you look at their lineup the way it is, you can have either Hartman, Center, Goudreau, and you could have Goudreau, Center, Hartman, and Boldy. You can have Hartman, Center, Goudreau, and Boldy, or you can have Hartman continue with Zuccarello and Kaprizov and have Rossi, Center, Goudreau, and Boldy. So I just think there's a natural fit there. So I, I, um, I absolutely think that Rossi's, as long as he adds some strength this offseason, you know he will. I think he'll have a really quality um, uh, chance of making this team out of camp. But he's got to earn it. That's the way that Bill Guerin operates. He's not just going to be given a roster spot. Uh, Jade says, any chance McIntyre makes his way back next year as the, as the three to shield Wildstep from Minnesota for the whole season? Um, I think that they do want to bring back McIntyre. I don't know if it would be as number three. I think him and Wildstep would platoon because they're going to want Wildstep playing next year. But you're absolutely right. If they need somebody to call up, I, I think they would love a, more of a veteran type guy. And I think that they trust a guy like uh, McIntyre. And he certainly played great in Iowa this year. Let's go to the next uh, person from the audience. Uh, Matthew, you're coming up on stage. Uh, thanks for doing this, Michael. Um, I was just thanks. wondering with the summer coming up with Fiala, do you see a team trying to offer sheet him? Or do you think they just go through the route of trading and making sure that they can get them on a long-term deal, like a signing trade or something. It's a good question because, I mean, the one thing with an offer sheet is that uh, is even before this, I think there's going to be a lot of communication between Bill Guerin and his agent, Craig Oster. And um, I think that they'll, they have a great relationship with the Newport guys. They had a great relationship actually during the whole process last year. Craig Oster is a great, great guy, a great agent. And so if there's an offer sheet coming, I think that that actually would be very communicative, communicated to 
um, Bill Guerin. And remember, an offer sheet for the money that he would have to sign for, the Wild would get a huge compensation package anyway if they're not going to match. So, um, But usually, when you get to an offer sheet, by then you're going to exhaust the trade value, the trade route. So, you know, offer sheets come after July 13th, which is the first day of free agency this year. Um, usually a trade like this would happen at the draft. And so the draft is July 7th and 8th in Montreal. So my guess is it doesn't even get to offer sheet time. I think he would be traded uh, before then. And I, I'll be interested to see what happens. I mean, you know, the one thing is it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, if you get picks and prospects uh, or all futures for um, Kevin Fiala, there's a way to massage this where you actually get picks for next year as well. And next year, the Wild right now have what it's going to be if they don't, um, they have a first-round pick. They're going to have two seconds and a third. So they'll have the two seconds. The se- other seconds can be the number 57 pick that they're going to get as compensation for not signing 2018 first-round pick Philip Johansson. So you'll have four picks in your top 100. Well, next year's draft is supposedly very, very deep. And the Wild next year have three picks in the top 100. So it wouldn't shock me if they try to uh, get some some pack, some picks for next year as well. Um, Siri. Yeah, hello. Um, I wanted, I read your article today, uh, and especially Gavin's quotes regarding uh, Kelly Nadelson and Marco Rossi that they have to earn their spot. And I wondered if uh, that means uh, that they can actually earn them uh, because uh, I found it weird, uh, especially Kelly Nadelson. Uh, he played some games this year, and I thought he looked good, not great, but uh, still. Good and uh, still, it uh, felt like he was never really given a chance uh, that uh, they uh, moved him back down to Iowa the first uh, chance they had every time. And uh, yeah, I you know it's a good question because it, it sure feels to me that they're not they're, they that they don't have as much confidence as Kalen as maybe as they first as they initially did. Or maybe, you know, I brought this up to Anthony LaPanta on our podcast yesterday, and the one thing that he said is maybe they just also just feel that at his size and stature that having Spurgeon, Dumba, and him in the lineup is just not a big enough lineup and that maybe that changes next year if, one, if say, you know, a Kulikov got, is gone or they trade a Dumba or something like that. So it might not just be that they don't have confidence in Kalen. It might be just an overall roster look that they don't want to have, you know, three undersized defensemen on the right side. Because even Bill Guerin pointed out yesterday that you know people think that Matt Dumba is bigger than he is because of the way that he plays and competes and and um, you know uh, but look right now they to your point they've shown no desire to just play him consistently they always send him down they'll play Jordy Ben ahead of him they have seven defensemen essentially under contract next year so um, you know it's easy to just come out and say that Kalen Addison's got to outplay somebody to make the team next year but that's not um, that's not you know, something that's something always that's always feasible as well. Uh, let's try Grant. You hear me? Yep, I can hear you now. Okay, great. Um, I don't know how they would do it. I mean, obviously, Fiala maybe, but uh, is there any interest in Mark Shifley? He's at 6.125 for the next three years. Assuming Fiala doesn't come back, maybe you don't have to move Dumba to do it, but any talk about potentially going out and getting him? Well, it would depend on the trade and what assets they would need to get them. But again, I mean, 6.125 is is a lot of money in the Wilds' current cap situation when they have $8 million of space this year, and their 12.7 in dead million goes up to 14.7 and 14.7 the next two years. So, you know, without doing the math right now, 
it would seem like you would have to, um, you, you, one, Dum- yeah, Dumbo would have to go. Um, he absolutely would have to go. And again, he's got a 10-team no move. What are the chances that Winnipeg's part of that 10-team no move? I'd say probably. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't want to, I, I love Winnipeg, but you know, if you're picking 32 teams and you're picking 10 or 31 other teams and you're picking 10 teams to put on your no trade clause, I think the majority of players in the league are putting Winnipeg on there. Again, no offense. I'm sure that'll make headlines, but that's just the reality. So it might not even be an option anyway. So, um, you know, so Dumbo, so, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be in that trade, but to create that space to go get him, you would have to trade Dumbo somewhere. Um, or you wait a year to make that deal if, if Shifley's, you know, potentially not traded this year. So, um, it's a good question. I, I know, uh, Pat Micheletti, uh, texted me the other day that he would go after him, but again, I mean, you know, right now it's just, it's hard to wrap my head around the wild going out and adding any big name player at their current cap situation. Uh, you know, it just, it just seems like, um, that would be the antithesis of what they've sort of set themselves up for here. They've been setting themselves up with this with the buyouts that they're going to have to throw a lot of entry level guys on the team the next several years. Um, Christian P, you are on the you are on the uh, stage. What's up? Hey, um, I was just wondering. We keep hearing you know everybody's like, oh uh, Fiala, oh uh, Dumba. Which one? Which one is? But I mean, let's be realistic here. Does it make sense to get rid of? Both, because I mean, with the cap situation going to be how it is, I just can't see how this team can be truly competitive with like what is it, fourteen million of dead <laughs> coming up? Like, couldn't it make more sense to just move both players and then get prospects and picks to actually get guys who line up with Boldy and Rossi and Addison's timeline? Yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I, like, you know, again, as I've been saying, is that Dumba's got one year left on his deal. And so at some point, you are going to have to address this, whether that's now or next season, on whether or not you're extending him or trading him. And I do think that it makes sense. So I think the one thing that they're going to have to figure out here is that, first of all, he's got a 10-team no trade. They're going to have to figure out a market for him and then see if, if any of those other teams have any interest in him. Now, remember, on July 13th, he's going to put in a new 10-team no-trade clause. He could keep the same. He could adjust it, whatever. And, um, you know, I think the one thing the Wild are going to have to do if they are going to look at some point not tr- uh, of trading him and not extending him is, is the value better to move him now or do you maybe move him near the trade deadline next year um, and, and get something then? But I know the goal for the Wild is going to be entrenched in a playoff spot next year, so they're probably not going to want to move him if he's still on the team. So maybe that is the way something you have to do now. I, I, I don't disagree that this is something, you know, we're all looking at the now because of all the guys that are unsigned now, but you also have to figure out who's up in a year. Like this might be a summer right now that you want to extend Matt Boldy and give him a bridge deal just to get some cost certainty there. And I think the same goes with Matt Dumba. Um, I think that Bill Guerin would love to bring him back at a haircut. That's my personal feeling. He loves Matt Dumba, um, but you know maybe that has changed. Uh, the one thing about Matt is, it, it, you know, he offensively isn't the same player that he used to be, and he just does have a propensity of getting hurt. So, um, you know, I think it's something that that Bill Guerin is going to really have to analyze here and decide if he still wants to uh, bring back Dumba at a haircut extension or if now's the time to maybe actually uh, move him. All right, let's go to Matt F. 
Hey there. Hey, hey I was wondering if there's anybody that uh, down in Iowa or even points beyond that the Wild have been pleasantly surprised with their development or maybe the most happy with. And then also, uh, are you, we going to see at Red Rocks for Trample this year? Um, not Red Rocks, uh, because I, I, I think I'm going, I can't remember what there, there's a conflict there. I think it's might be free agency actually, or I'm going to Europe. Uh, I can't remember what date, but I'm the day I get back from Montreal from the draft. I plan on driving up to Duluth to go to the Bayfront show. So, um, looking forward to that. Um, I had Tim army on last week, straight from the source. If you want to listen to that, um, podcast and he was really, really, um, specific about a lot of the prospects and the pleasant surprises that he's had there. Loves guys like Sweeney, um, Chafee, uh, people like that. Um, trying to think who else he mentioned on there. You know, obviously Mason Shaw. Those are sort of the people that are always under the radar that we don't hear about. But um, you know, he he. Uh, if you know Tim, he was high on a lot of their prospects. But look, I mean, the Wild. You look at their roster right now, and it's pretty set. Uh, you know, obviously there are going to be some tweaks here and there, but they have seven defensemen under contract, not in- including. I'm including Middleton in that because they're going to resign him, um, but I'm not including Addison in that. So they get 7D under contract. They got uh, one goalie under contract with the hope of getting Flurry under contract. And then up front, they basically have, um, you know, 10 forwards. Um, so I'm not including Fiala there. I'm assuming that Rossi replaces Fiala. So that would be 11 forwards. And then that gives you a 12th and 13th forward. One of those forwards is probably Connor Durr. Um, who's going to be resigned at a pretty reasonable contract, I would assume. So there's your 12th forward. So they basically got to go either promote one forward from Iowa or go and sign a free agent or re-sign a Bukestead or a, a Delorier. So there's just not a lot of opportunity right now for those Iowa guys. Um, so, uh, But there are a lot of guys down there that had pretty good years despite the fact that they were um, had a disappointing season in terms of not making the playoffs. Um, a lot of guys are getting uh, promoted this year from junior. We're going to see O'Rourke down there. We're going to see Hunt down there. Novak signed there. Um, Wallstat's coming there. Um, and so it's going to be just really interesting to see how Iowa does next season. Um, Lambos will be back in junior. And the one thing I do think that they are short on are centers. And I can see the Wild going out and signing some you know expensive two-way veteran types uh, to, to be centers down in Iowa this year to sort of supplement that with Rossi probably leaving. Um, Tom B asked, why not try to move Spurgeon while we can? Um, the big thing is he's got a no move clause. Um, so he determines his, uh, he determines his, uh, his future in terms of that. And I don't think they're going to the captain and trying to move him and putting that in his head. So I just don't see it happening. Um, just looking at the chat and then we'll go back to the audience. Um, uh, Kyle, I just mentioned Nick Sweeney. Uh, if you, if you want to hear more about Nick Sweeney, I would listen to that, um, to the, uh, Tim army podcast I did last week. Um, trying to see any other good questions, uh, on the chat. Let's call uh, Dan E up. Hey Dan, what's up? Hey Mike, uh, quick question for you on wild special teams in particular, the PK. Um, uh, it seems like uh, once uh, the other team completes their zone entry in the wild, we go into a you know a four-sided box with very little mm-hmm. chasing, very little pressure. I'm just curious, do you think, A, we do that because of personnel, or it seems other teams are much more aggressive than the wild are. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps there is an opportunity for for the wild to, to look at that, that different strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, we I, we asked about special teams yesterday to Dean Evison, and Dean said that when they were second in the league in 2011-12 in Washington, that he had the exact same system that he coached in Washington that he had here. 
So what it, his, in his mind, it comes down to not system, but executing the system. Um, but look, I mean, they, they just, they, they horrendous save percentage on the, um, on the, on the, uh, the, the penalty kill. So to me, it starts with the goaltending, but it's just amazing to me how many passes get through the through the box. Um, you know, they made one adjustment. I, I was able to see with my naked eye in the playoffs and that's after game one, they sort of dropped their forwards down more and almost allowed flurry to get the point shot. Um, and, and this way they were allowed a more front guys like Perron and Shen on sort of the flanks there. Um, but it was just, it was, it, I agree with you. It was super passive. They've got to be better in that situation. It also starts with face-offs. Their face-off percentage this season on the penalty kill was abysmal. So you're always letting the other team start with the puck in the offensive zone. Um, and it's, it's just, it absolutely has got to change. The other weird thing that they did is like, it, you know, I can't figure out if they didn't play Matt Dumb on the power play because he was legitimately because of his injury. It didn't sound that way the last couple of days. It sounded like they just decided that he was going to be more valuable at even strength and on the PK, which to me is bizarre because years ago he didn't play the PK. And I thought that he really didn't look great on the PK, um, in the playoffs. You know, I, I think he almost played the PK a little too aggressively, got on the wrong side of guys, wrong side of pucks, almost played it like, you know, he was, he was on the power play. And so the, you know, again, this is a team that rarely ever practices. And that's one thing I do need. I think that Dean Evison and the coaching staff have to look at next year is that there's just few teams in the league that practice as little as the wild. They had three full practices, um, after the trade deadline and then every single game day, it's an optional skate. And I, I just don't get that. Like I was watching the St. Louis Blues in, pra- in, in the playoffs. Not only are they practicing on off days, but every game day, they do the power play and the penalty kill with Craig Berube on the ice. And the Wild don't do that. And then we wonder why they, you know, they slip in such little, in so many different details in all parts of their games when it matters the most. And I think this is something that Dean and Billy Guerin and the coaching staff have to figure out next year is um is to get these guys on the ice more no matter what i don't you know tired or not they got to get at least get on the ice and have walkthroughs brian cs uh when is the nhl award show will it be in vegas this year it's i believe if i remember it's gonna be game between games and three game three and four of the stanley cup final so it would be these uh uh yeah i'm almost positive that's what it was between games three and four of the stanley cup final so uh spurgeon doesn't get a free trip to vegas Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, ben T. Hey, Mike. Hey, uh, do you think them not playing Talbot uh, game two was a big mistake? I know um, Flurry played really well game two, but I was at game five. Just watching Flurry's rebound control was just gross. I think maybe playing Talbot game two might have gave us a chance. What do you think? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I agree. I, we talked about this on the Worst Seats in the House podcast yesterday. And, um, you know, I also agree that, that he should have played game two. But I also get the wild that if you're starting with Flurry to pull him after game one, um, just seemed to be, uh, you know, you know, probably something that would have created a bigger storyline. The other thing is that you look at that game 
one and you pull the goaltender after they don't even score a goal, I think it just sends the wrong message to the team and almost letting the, the offensive guys, the forwards, the defense to start to think like this was a goalie issue. So I think that's why they didn't do it. I think their big mistake was that they they waited till game five, they, game six to do it when their backs were against the wall. And then you throw Talbot into a, you know, impossible situation. Um, to me, game five was the time they to play him. Give him some time in friendly confines where he usually plays well, a chance to get his footing in the series. And for some reason, they did it in game six. And the one thing that Bill, that Craig Berube did um, in the playoffs is he made adjustments before his back was against the wall. You know, their forwards were just as good and dynamic as the Wilds forwards were and set that his lines were just as set as the Wilds lines were going into the playoffs, yet he had no problem in game three and especially in game four of just completely putting a grenade through it and, and blowing it up and, and seeing where it all ended up, even though he had some unbelievable lines. And the Wild didn't do that. They didn't make the adjustments when they needed to, and I think it cost them. I really do. Um, just going through the chats still, and then I'll call some more people up. Um, Stang says Hope goes back to uh, Hartman goes back to wing. Um, trying to see nine oh seven asks if I'm paid by the article or on salary. I'm on salary. Um, Gary G says from Russia with love. Thank you. I have a big Kaprizov story running tomorrow morning. That's actually a really fun one. Just sort of on his, uh, just sort of his. Um maturation this year how comfortable he felt he really had some great stuff to say in his end of the year presser so that was fun uh marco we're gonna call you up marco what's up hey how's it going good um so obviously it was pretty clear uh during the st louis series that we were pretty weak at center you know hartman had a great year but he just didn't seem to keep up um and same thing with Goodrill. I mean, I know we want to possibly trade for futures with Fiala, but what's the chances you think uh, that we would try to get a center? I mean, you say the Devils are a natural mm-hmm. trade partner. Do you think we could try to get someone like a Mercer from the Devils? Um, let me look at uh, Mercer's cap hit real quick and what is all that stuff is. like. I think it makes sense to get a player with money if you, if you control his rights for a while and he's not going to get like the huge payday. Um Hang on, I'm just going on cap friendly right now. I should have probably had cap friendly up, Marco. Um, I think he's only, I think he's like three years, uh, $4 million total contract. So he's got a $900,000 cap in. I mean, that's the one thing. uh, Oh, yeah, 900 just signed. I mean, again, I don't know what they think of him, but I, I, I don't disagree with you. Like, to me, that is the type of thing that makes sense. Not just, it doesn't have to just be all futures. Or, um, you know, although Mercer at 20 years old can be considered that it, but it doesn't have to be just, you know, picks and prospects. It could be somebody with term that you're going to control for a long time. And that's, that to me is where like a Dawson Mercer is absolutely appealing. Um, so it makes sense. The, you know, the wild also have, if again, if you're trading Fiala and, um, you're signing Flurry to a reasonable deal and then actually maybe, a trading a towel, but then you create more cap space for yourself, or you could always create cap space by trading, you know, a Tyson Jost or a Dmitry Kulikov. So I think there is a way to add guys with term this, this off season, whether it's a Fiala trade or other trades as well. Um, Eric H. Hey Mike, uh, just wondering what kind of uh, term and salary you think Dumbo would be uh, getting if he were to stay. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I'm not, you know, I don't know what type of, like, I would th- assume 
without asking Matt Dumba this or his agent, I would assume that he knows that he's going to have to take a haircut on six or he's going to be traded um, or just go somewhere else as a free agent. So, you know, what is that haircut? Would he sign for five? Would he sign for four and a half? Um, I think if he would sign for four and a half, I think Billy Guerin would extend him. Um, you know, uh, but too much more, I think he makes himself expendable. So, uh, this is just total, total, total conjecture though. I want to make that clear. Um, Lucas asked, do you see Simon Johansson making the lineup in the next few years? I really know very little about Simon Johansson. Um, so, you know, I'd just be talking out of my, you know what, on that one. Um, just, uh, just going through some more chat questions. Robert asked about the whole Parisi suitor. So, I mean, obviously we, 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 um, we, uh, we, I think everybody's heard the Jason Arnott clip on Andy Strickland's podcast in St. Louis. You know what was really funny about that is that Wade Arnott is Jason Arnott's brother. Well, Wade Arnott essentially negotiated the Parisian suitor deals. <laughs> I mean, how how funny is that? The thirteen year deals here in Minnesota because he he works for Newport as an agent, um, and pr- he was at the time Parisi's agent. Parisi sort of recruited him to with Neil Sheehy, but recruited him to almost make the tag team with Suter and Parisi. So just sort of a coincidence there. Um, you know, look, uh, I think that all wild fans know that those two had a large influence in the, uh, in the locker room. Um, the, the thing that I think that Ryan Suter is probably a little worried about now is now, you know, it, back in the day, everything was always kept in house in the locker room. Now there were so many different avenues with podcasts to go out and sort of air dirty laundry. And Jason Arnott obviously did that um, a year or so ago. Tori Mitchell was on Spit and Chicklets and talked about sort of the country club atmosphere in the wild locker room and how Parisian suitor influence that practices were at Braemar near their homes in Edina rather than the rink and things like that. So I just think the one thing that has to worry Ryan Suter is now just that more and more stuff is going to eventually come out. The stuff that, you know, I think that he thought would always be private in the locker room. And so um, those guys, they, look, when you get when you sign 13 year deals, you sort of make your own bet as an organization. And I think Parisian Suter had big uh, influences in that locker room. Ryan, because of his relationship with Craig Leopold, I think always felt that he had, um, you know, a bigger influence than others. And I do think it created some issues in the locker room. And when Bill Guerin yesterday um, in his press conference said that for the first time in his history of being in Minnesota for three years, that players, coaches, managers alike were able to do what they wanted to do in the locker room. That was an absolute veiled um, shot at uh, Parisi Suter, maybe even Stahl, Koivu, Dubnik, all those is, you know, they've tried to, um, hand the locker room over to different voices, and um, and that was definitely what he was referring to um, there. Um, Cheryl says, "Why didn't we see Bukestead in the playoffs? Was he hurt? I don't think he was hurt. He was definitely not hurt. They just decided not to play him." Um, uh, Mark F says, "Anything to read into with Beckman not being invited as a black ace?" Um, Bill Guerin told me that they just decided that it would be more valuable for him to get started on his offseason work rather than just being bag skated by Timmy Army. You know, the way the Wild do the Black Aces in Minnesota is that they really are truly on their own other than just watching the games together from the press box. But they are not with the NHL group. They're skating over a trio by themselves. So they just felt it was more valuable for him to go home. Tim Army talked a lot about Ed, Adam Beckman on last week's Straight from the Source. So you could definitely listen to that. Um Steve O asks, "Hey Michael, what's your favorite sport besides ba- besides hockey? I'd say it's baseball. Love baseball. Um, don't watch it nearly as much as I used to. Um, I used to be a huge, huge basketball fan as well. I was like the biggest bandwagon Chicago Bulls fan as a kid. I watched every single game on WGN. Huge, huge Michael fan. Um, 
Gary E says, if flower, if no flower, do you see a Holpe style signing? I mean, maybe. Hopefully not Holpe. Holpe is definitely not the same player he used to be. Um, Andrew H asks, why were the Wilds so big on Duhame? Seemed terrible on the stretch. No goals in his last 40 games. They valued his size and his grit. Um, you know, so that really what it came down to there. It was more that it was the sandpaper. Um, you know, you can agree or not. Uh, obviously, you don't agree. Um, but that was basically, you know, that's the reason. Um, before I call anybody else up, I'm just kind of going through this chat. Uh, let's go to Bob M. Hey, Bob, what's up? Hey, Michael. Uh, thanks so much for everything. Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, is my memory off? But I, I tend to believe that their PK has been bad for much longer than just this season. The last time I can remember it being yeah. any way decent was back when we had uh, Scott Stevens for that brief amount of time. It was the last time I can remember actually for a prolonged period of time, the, the PK actually being decent. So I think, you know, to me, it's, this is more than just this, this group yeah. on this year. The one thing I did notice is that, um, actually ask your other question and then I'm, and then I'm going to probably boot you because we're getting feedback. Is short term kind of long term. What can Billy do? Because to me, this team seems to be designed to beat, Eastern Conference teams and <laughs> and most of the Pacific, and they just can't hang with the Central Conference. You know the the tougher teams. What does he do to kind of change the team to be? Because you got to go through those teams first two rounds of yeah. playoffs. Yeah. You're going to go anywhere. Yeah, especially in the division format that the NHL has. Is is I mean you're playing Colorado, St. Louis you know, one of these teams probably in the first round every single year. So you better figure out a way to play them. I don't know what you do. I mean, I really don't. I, I don't know if this year was an aberration that the Wild were so dominant against the East. Um, you know, everything in the NHL is usually cyclical. Um, so this could very change. I remember that they used to call the Southeast Division the South Least, and then all of a sudden, you know, get teams like Washington and Tampa and all, Carolina, they're all winning cups. So um, things change. Um, in terms of the PK... Uh, yeah, they were 21st last year. Um, I'm trying to think the last time they were good. I did look the, that they have the fourth best PK in the league since like 2011. Um, I did see that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. 25th in 2019 20. It's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, 22nd in 2018 19. Um, actually, you know what? The, actually, I don't know if this is accurate because what it's doing is combining them. So let's see, 2017, 18. I know our people are just probably like just bored out of their mind at this. So they were 13 and 27, 18. They were 20. Um, so you're right. Uh, really, the last year that they were good was the year that Scott Stevens uh, at, was the year that Scott Stevens was here. So they were seventh in 2018, 19, which Scott was gone. So they've just been downhill like the last th two or three years. So they've got to figure it out. I mean, regardless of how long it's been, this is a huge, huge issue that's got to be rectified because the Wild were one of the best five to five teams in the league this year. And it, obviously they never fixed the special teams and it, it hurt them in the playoffs. Tim McKay, what's up? Yeah. Hey Mike, thanks again for, uh, for doing this and appreciate all the work you do every year. I think us wild fans Thank are pretty you. spoiled to have you as uh, the beat writer for the team. So, um, I, I hope you enjoy some time you. off this, this summer. Um, Thank you. 
question on um, I know a lot of the guys on the team thinking guys like Hartman, Felino, Zuccarello, Caprisa, Fiala, they all overperformed probably based on expectations and had career years. Do you think any of that played into their performance in the playoffs or is that just kind of a bad coincidence for us? Yeah, it sort of seems weird, doesn't it? I mean, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, the one thing that, again, that the Wild have to figure out regardless of all that is that why, why do these players still not, you know, you can't just be good regular season players. Um, you can't also, like, always say that the other team was more experienced and all that stuff. Like, Bill Guerin was pretty adamant about that yesterday. Like, it doesn't matter. You got to just figure out a way to get through it. And I, I and I don't know why all their guys with, with uh, career years in the regular season just had down playoff years. Um, some of them I can look at and analyze specifically. Like, the one thing that does concern me about Matt Zuccarello is – and I know he's had some good postseasons in the past, but man, this is two years in a row where he was just thrown around, um, couldn't really function in tight situations. Um, you know, the penalty that he took in game six that really derailed the entire game was all because he didn't want to take a hit. Um, so, uh, you, you know, this is the type of stuff they have to analyze this. this, this otherwise, it's going to be the broken record that we've seen here the last couple of years here. So I think this is the type of thing that Bill Guerin's going to have to figure out. Um, hopefully that answers your question. I know it's kind of all over the map there. Uh, William R. William R., what's up? Russo, you got me? Yep, I can hear you. All right, well, I got kind of just an opinion question for you. Um, I know everybody feels that, you know, watching Kevin in the playoffs was really tough and disappointing, um, but there's no doubt that what the Blues did to lock down Boldy definitely changed Kevin's impact. Um, I'm just curious, from your eyes, do you think um, – Kevin's lack of production in the playoffs was mostly how the Blues were playing his line and locking down Boldy, or do you think it was more of his failures? Yeah, um, you know, I think it's a little bit of both. I thought that, that, you know, as usual, Kevin worked his ass off. Um, I I thought that Matt Boldy was bottled up, and, um, you know, they they played him physically. And I thought Goudreau, um, you know, just... He, you know, to me, he just same thing. I, I, I think they really focused on just checking that line really, really tightly. Um, so I think it's, you know, just as that line showed great chemistry and we sort of praised everybody when Fiala was running wild, wild, I, I think your point is, is pretty accurate that this isn't just Kevin. I mean, Kevin is obviously the big news because of the way that he finished up the season and because of what's about to potentially happen to him in terms of trade. But I agree. I think it was an eye-opener for both Goudreau and Fiala and Boldy in the playoffs. And um, I think it affected Fiala. There's no doubt. I mean, it, it, it looked to me late in the series. I, I think Fiala got very, very frustrated early in the series. And then it got to the point where I think he d- did what, you know, he did early on this, se- this season when he wasn't going well, where he felt like he had to do everything on his own. And I think it worked against him. And you could, you could see he's fighting. When Kevin Fiala is fighting it, he whiffs on pucks, he shanks shots, pucks just slide off his stick. And, and that's what we saw really throughout games five and six, especially with him. So uh, thanks for your question, William. Uh, Siraj. Hey. Hey, Siraj. Uh, how's it going? Wow. Hey, uh, good. What's going on? So- I have a kind of 1A, 1B question about the team in general. Uh, sorry, I'm walking through the Mall of America, so it's noisy. I apologize. But, no uh, so part one is, what are the chances that there's a more dramatic retool of the roster with the consideration of there being essentially three years of hell for now? 
including potentially trading people like Zuccarello, people that are considered more untouchable players and sort of retooling on the fly. And then the second part of that question, particularly with the like, considerations of like Wallstead coming up, the obvious like, you know, factory of actually, you know, developing good players in Iowa, having a good uh, scouting staff for once in however long. Uh, what are the, what's the, like, I guess, what is the, the confidence in the current coaching staff? What are the chances that we do see as much as I love Dean and trust me, I have quite the collection of Dean gifts that I use on discord and on Twitter, but like, what are the chances that we see a different coach? What are the chances that we see somebody like Barry Trotz? Has there been any Zero. consideration for that? Okay. No, no, I, no. I mean, they, yeah, they, they gave the entire coaching staff three-year deals, um, in terms of retooling the roster, I mean, look, the look, the the goal is to win a cup here, and they're not going into a rebuild. And there's really no way with the number of guys they have locked up long term with no moves to to rebuild. So th- this was part of the plan this year. I think in a lot of ways, Bill Guerin was shocked that they were probably the fifth best team in the league. And I think that after those buyouts, um, they knew that they were going to go in and and um, you know have a couple entry level guys on this team. But this team was the fifth best team in the regular season this year and they have other than Kevin Fiala pretty much their entire group back um, and who knows what happens with Fiala maybe they figure out a way to, to to figure it out but the reality is there's no reason to have a rebuild um, you you know you just don't take a six game series against this the St. Louis Blues and after having a hundred and you know 13 points and 53 victories rebuild the team they're going to add Marco Rossi and um, that's that's really all that needs to be done. Uh, but they've got to figure out internally, as as sort of you alluded to, you know, why, you know, from a coaching perspective, all this stuff, how to help things when it matters most, and that's in the playoffs. Let's try Brian H. Uh, if there was a guy that got traded this summer uh, that shocked Wild fans but didn't shock you as much, who would that player be, and why is he Brandon Duhame? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what what is it what what's it achieved to trade Brandon Duhame? I mean, to get a pick, um, you know, I I mean, yeah, you could trade him, but I I don't know, you know, that doesn't move the needle very much. Um, Gavin L. Hey, what's up, Mike? Say, <clears throat> what's up? Do you see any um, chance that the grief line gets broken up? Because obviously, in playoffs on the power play, um, Eric Sinek had a lot of success with Kaprizov. I could, I could see them playing very well together next year. I know there'll be three left wing forwards, but yeah. um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think so. I mean, they, they tried, they tried that in camp last year and for some reason, and they tried it the first eight, nine games of the season, maybe even a little longer. For some reason, the, the chemistry just wasn't there. Um, you know, Hartman, the, the difference with Hartman and Erickson Eck, and obviously Hartman's got his falses, but he could play with the puck. Um, he could pass the puck. And Erickson Eck is honestly more just like a go to the net sort of grinder score, you know, just, just absolute. He's a hockey player. Um, and for some reason they're just, the chemistry didn't exist and this team got good. Remember, I mean, they were treading water at the beginning of the year and this team got really, really good when that line was reassembled. And I don't know why, when you have the best to me checking line in the league, if you want to call them that, that you would break it up. So where where there are times where maybe you change it up is, and I think that Dean should have tried this in the playoffs is just, you know, if you need a little boost, you know, throw Erickson Eck on the top line, you know, change, you know, fiddle, fiddle things around, maybe throw Fiala with Kaprizov and Zuccarello with Boldy. You know, there were just zero adjustments uh, in the playoffs where, you know, Craig Berube to me was just running, running the show. Uh, Mary asked, do you miss my Grandlin questions? I always do. Um, 
I'm just looking at more chat questions. And uh, we only have one more person in the in the audience. So if you want to get in, now's the time to hit the uh, hit the audience button. Uh, James, let's see if it works now. Can you hear me? Hey, James. Yep, I can. Excellent. All right. So my question is: Is Dean ever going to take us anywhere in the playoffs? I'm looking at hockey database. He's mm-hmm. never won a playoff series. Um, 0 and 7 in the AHL and the NHL. And we saw it in the playoffs. He made several mistakes. And, like, if execution is the issue on the power play, and we saw it all year, basically, why not rewrite it so our players can execute? And <laughs> I'm sorry if this isn't Minnesota nice, but like I said, he has a history of losing in the first round. And I'm, like many of us, are, are sick of losing in the first round. He yeah. just he just seems to have, like, this philosophy of, I'm going to let the leaders in the room handle this way while I go play a golf, you know, around a golf. So has he become a placeholder? And like, how long is his leash? Well, I mean, he's definitely not a placeholder because they gave him a three-year extension. So definitely not that. Um, So I think he's got a long leash because I do think that the history of of the wild is that when guys have terms on the deal, they usually finish it up. Um, But now, does that mean he's not going to be let go at some point in the next three years? I'm not saying that, but he's definitely not being let go now. Um, The golf, the golf line, I, I, you know, I I think that's an unfair shot. Uh, You know, the guy loves golf. There's no doubt about it, but it's not like he's not coaching. He doesn't coach on game. He doesn't golf on game days, things like that. To your other points are all valid. He was one in 12 in his AHL coaching debut, and he's now six and 11 in the NHL. Um, he has never gotten past the first round. These are all facts. Um, and now the AHL sometimes, I don't know everything that was going on in Milwaukee. Those are really good Nashville teams. And I don't know who they were calling up in the playoff runs, who he lost in those big games in those, in those rounds. But you're right. I mean, he, he went one and three, oh, and three, oh, and three, oh, and three in four playoffs, didn't make it in the other two. Um, so, uh, you know, Regardless of all that, um, I do think he got out coached this series. I mean, I just I don't I don't know if the goaltending decision was all his, but I think they waited too long as a staff to make the goaltending move. I just you know I when they put Talbot in game six, it was too late. Um, you know, doesn't change lines. Didn't in game five make any moves, and then all of a sudden he did in game six, and I think that was the difference in the series. I just think that Craig Berube didn't wait till his back was against the wall to make all his moves. And, um, and, and these are just the tangible ones that we can all see. I'm sure they were making adjustments on the ice that weren't easy to recognize with the naked eye. I'm just saying actual personnel moves. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
on your happy price, Priceline. Brad F. Uh... That was that was going to be my question. Actually, is as I have little little confidence in the coaching staff. But the second question is, M, you've addressed it slightly, but I guess I want to ask you directly. The Iowa Wild missed the playoffs and have not been strong in the playoffs for the last couple of years. If they've made it, why why is it that you know we as Minnesota Wild fans, the the big kids fans, uh, should have faith that what's coming is actually going to take the team to the promised land. Because I, yeah, I guess maybe I'm pessimistic, but I think we're I think we're stuck in a cesspool of mediocrity, you know, which is what Minnesota is all about. So, right, right. Um, look, I mean, you know, I don't know if that uh, my early teams are very, very strange. I mean, like you look at the the team that they had in Iowa this year, and other than Addison and and um, and uh, and Rossi, I mean, it's not like they they sat there and had a had a ton of uh, you know big time prospects and things like that. A lot of them are just minor league guys, you know, in betweeners, guys that are never going to be in the NHL, things like that. So to blame that on them, um, it was also a very strange year with the whole COVID situation. They had a bunch of weirdness, um, you know, uh, things like that. So that you know, I, now now that they're starting to get O'Rourke Hunt. Novak, um, Johansson, player Wallstat. Now you're going to want to see them do some stuff. You want to see actual tangible evidence, and if they don't, they'll have to they'll have to figure out why that is down there. Um, so from that standpoint, um, you know, to me, I don't know. I, I I I don't look at what happened in Iowa as being anything that just shows that's emblematic of what's going on here, unless you had just a bunch of incredible players down there that were just failing. Um, the one guy that was a little concerning, obviously, was was uh, Beckman, and you know somebody. Some people have pointed out that on my podcast with Tim Peel, it was a little just his answers on Beckman were a little weird. Something went on down there this year that just didn't allow him to be the guy that we saw in training camp, um, and that looked like really close to making the team. So he had a tough, tough first full year in the AHL, and they're going to have to figure out why that is. And I bet you he comes back and is a totally different uh, player next season. That's just, I mean, th- this kid is a talented, um, uh, driven hockey player, and I bet you we're going to see a, a lot better from him next year. Um, let's try Joseph. Can you hear me? Joseph, what's up? Yep. Hey, so I just kind of want to get your opinion on something. Um one of the things that was kind of, maybe it's my pessimism, but uh, one of the things that was kind of eating at me all year was wondering if the group was kind of overachieving um, all year or and or the coaching staff was able to just get the most out of the team, you know, really push them to get the most out of the team. But as we all know, the playoffs, you know, everything gets harder. And my worry going into the playoffs was that wouldn't be able to grab that next gear. Uh, do you think there's any validity to that, or do you see it differently? Um, I don't know. That playoff round was so strange. Uh, it was. It was. I mean, look. There's just no way to put a paint a rosy picture on that playoff performance. It was a total disappointment. Second year in a row, they had a lead on it, and they just there were guys that just did not step up and and grab the moment and. Um, and it is a huge concern because these are the same players coming back this year. So they've got to figure out why, why was Erickson Eck and Kaprizov basically the only two forwards that did anything in the playoffs? I mean, they had 10 of their 16 goals, right? Or whatever it was. 
Um, you know, uh, Felino definitely wasn't nearly as good. That line wasn't nearly as good. Um, and, you know, there, I don't know what happened after game three, but clearly Craig Berube said, you know what, we're not going to get eaten alive by the grief line and just change it up. And then they had one of the worst games that we've seen in game four. Um, you know, they've, they've got to figure it out. So I don't know why they didn't get the next gear, but, but that's up to them to figure out. There's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge concern. Um, you know, Brodeen wasn't very good. Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, let's try AJ. Hey, Michael. Uh, What's up? Do you have any update on Carson Lambos? Um, I mean, he's he's gonna be in juniors next year. So, um, are you trying? I I already lost you there. But uh, he's you know nineteen years old, so he can't play in the in the uh, in the uh, AHL next year. Um, so. You know, I'm not sure if there's something else that you're referring to. If you if you do, just come back into the queue. I'm sorry I lost you there. Um, but just looking at one thing. I mean, regardless, Lambos is signed, so they don't have to sign him. Uh, Tyler G. What's up? Hey, Mike. Um, so I guess I just want to, like, I feel, I feel like coming out of the trade deadline, the narrative around the team was that we were built for playoffs. We were a five on five powerhouse. We brought in heavyweights like Delorier, Middleton. Yeah. And I think, I think like five to seven years ago, this team really would have been a force in the playoffs. I guess my question is, I'm wondering if in your perception, do you think, do you think the front office was a little bit surprised at how tightly called these games were from a penalty perspective and as a result, do you think they were a little slow to adjust or react to that? Like, we didn't see D'Lo come out until late in the series yeah. and Dewar swapped in. Like, do you think they were caught off guard with how, not saying the penalties were bad, they were penalties, but do you think they were a little surprised with how tightly it was called? Yeah, I do think they were early on. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree with you on also just the late two adjustments where this team is good is when they roll four lines and stay at even strength. And it's like their only answer to their bad special teams was like, we just got to try to keep the game at five on five. No, you got to fix the freaking special teams. That is the that is the game. You know, it, special teams is part of the game. You can't have a, a crappy power play and a crappy penalty kill and just say, all right, we're going to try our best to not take any penalties and be squeaky clean and just win the game at five on five. And by the way, St. Louis is a pretty good five on five team as well. They didn't just beat them on the power play. So, um, you know, I do think that they that they just they 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 were slow to adjust. And I think their fourth line, which, um, you know, in in. You know, in the past has been really good for this team. It was super, super disappointing in this playoff round. And um, you know, I don't I still don't really get why they didn't play Bukestead. I think he could have helped Jost from an offensive standpoint. And I agree with you. It's like they added Delorier, they had this whole, you know, this mantra like we're built for the playoffs. We add sandpaper and when it wasn't working, they just didn't decide to take him out until they essentially forced him out of the lineup uh with with the injury. So um yeah, uh, you know. Pretty pretty frustrating. I mean, if their special teams goes into the playoffs as bad as it is next year, it's going to be a, a huge, huge problem. Uh, somebody brought up Leo that uh, Henchkiss is going to Iowa as well, and I forgot about him first off as well. So there's going to be a lot of to – that, to that person that asked a couple minutes ago, there's going to be a lot of new guys in Iowa. So if there's crummy lint next year, then it's a, then it's a concern. Uh, Michael R., what's up? Well, good to talk to you, Michael R. Uh, <laughs> uh 
thank you for uh, doing what you do. This is a uh, fantastic forum, and my wife and I appreciate being able to listen to you uh, answer questions. Um, My question is actually with regards to Tyson Jost. Does going forward, um, I know Bill Guerin and Dean Evison had both said that he might have an elevated role and that they didn't view him as necessarily a fourth uh, line center. Uh, Does he make sense to try to plug into maybe that first line role as the center, give him a shot over Hartman and get Hartman back into more of a gritty role, even though Hartman did have all those goals or as somebody to plug in with a Boldy or Rossi to have a little bit more speed on that second line, even though I do like Goudreau, but I don't, after this playoff series, it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to have him on that second line and maybe cut his minutes a little bit. Uh, just yeah. looking for your thoughts there. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Yeah. See, that's one where it, it might make sense, but, but we all know that like Dean Evison is not playing Goudreau on the fourth line unless he's absolutely forced to. It was just, it's just no way. I mean, we, I think we've all learned that by now. Um, but in terms of your Joe's comment, I mean, it's worth a, worth a shot. I, you know, he, he got really one real elevated opportunity. I think it was in Nashville and, um, and I thought he played quite well with Kaprizov that game. Um, so it's worth a shot, um, on the fourth line. I mean, Joe's just doesn't, you know, he, he just didn't do much for me. And at 2 million bucks, I mean, I, it just wouldn't shock me if they look to move him this off season. Um, that's a lot of money if he doesn't have a clear role. And right now in the lineup, Let's just say it's it's the same forwards next year minus Fiala. You have a first line that let's again let's just say it's the same. You have Kaprizov, Zuccarello, and, and Hartman. You have a second line that would be probably a mix of Rossi, Goudreau, and Boldy. You have a third line again. I'm just labeling it of the grief line. So where's Tyson Joe's playing? But fourth line. So he's a two million dollar fourth liner. Um, you know that's a lot of money invested there. Uh, Colin. Hey, Michael, thank you uh, for everything you do on The Athletic and enjoy listening to you. But I just had a question about uh, goalie development with Wallstad. I know a lot of times uh, young goalies, you like to have them as a starter in the AHL and then bring them up to back up the NHL team and then move into a starting position. Yep. If he does uh, really well in the AHL, do you think the Wild would try to move him up and do a starting position right away or potentially – trade flurry or talbot mid-season to bring him up yeah i mean my gut says that he gets a full year in the in the minors like you just you know especially goalies you just don't mess with that and young goalies and i mean we've seen it you know right darcy kemper's turned into an established player in the nhl it takes time for these guys to develop and to just rush him at 20 years old really 19 years old uh, into the NHL right away. I don't see it. It's also not Bill Guerin's style. I mean, we've seen there's a proper development process that he feels that these guys all need. We saw it with Boldy. We saw it with Beckman this year. We saw Rossi this year. I mean, Rossi being in the minors all year wasn't just because to slide his contract. They wanted him in the minors to play. And I think it's going to be especially important for their young defensemen and their goalies to grow together down there, play together down there. So in two years, I could see him maybe getting a little bit of a look as a backup type situation, but I don't see, I'd be shocked unless it was because of necessity that they put him in the uh, NHL at any point next season, but we'll see. Um, Anthony. So I'm just wondering, because obviously some teams, their fans overvalue some of their own players and like undervalue players from other teams so i'm just wondering if you have gotten like any rumblings about how much we could actually get for fiala i know that the number two overall pick's been thrown around 
and yeah. things like that. So just wondering about that. Well, I think there's going to be a bidding war for him if he's available via trade. And and to me, that means that Bill Guerin is going to be able to get a big, big price. Now, a lot of it, again, as I mentioned, because he's a restricted free agent one year from unrestricted, it's probably going to come to a point where I think Bill Guerin is going to have to let his agent talk to other teams because I think that other teams will give up much more for him if they know that he's willing to sign there long term right now. Um, on an extension rather than just signing for one year and potentially leaving as a UFA. So I, I think that he can get a first-round pick, a prospect, first-round pick and a player, maybe even a couple prospects. I, I, I just think there's going to be a lot of teams that come after him. And when a lot of teams go after a player, that usually ups the price big time. So um, I think he's going to be able to name his price on this one, especially the way that he finished the season with 85 points. And, it, I mean, he's gotten on some unbelievable tears the last couple of years. Um Let's see. It looks like this will be the last question of the podcast. Tommy. Hey, Mike. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. A lot of pressure. Make it good if you're the last one. <laughs> All right. I'll try. Um, so I got an observation slash uh, question. It's kind of just about the defense in general this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like in past years, kind of a hallmark of this team has just been playing, you know, good shutdown hockey. Uh, and especially in the playoffs this year against the Blues, I just felt like we gave up so many odd man rushes, um, just with like bad pinches and just, I don't know, it's just like loose hockey, I guess. And so I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts about this, if it's system related, if it's, you know, people just not playing up to their potential or, I mean, last year too, I think we kind of forget how good that third pair of, uh, Cole and, um, Susie was. And I don't yeah. know, I just... I don't have yeah. nearly. I don't. I don't know if Dean has nearly as much confidence in that our third pair this year, especially with all the rotation that was going on there. So, love to hear your yeah, thoughts. Dean, yeah, Dean. Even for the first time yesterday, sort of mentioned that defensively five and five that they need to improve, which just shows me that that they are they weren't happy with their five and five defensive play, and especially maybe their blue line uh, in the playoffs. The blue line wasn't very good in the playoffs. I, I just don't know exactly what the wild were trying to achieve in the playoffs with their system. I mean, they, it's like they didn't forecheck early, um, especially game four. Um, you know, it was, they didn't activate their defense nearly as much as they used to. I don't know if that was something that was, they were told or the defensemen were just, you know, hesitant to do it because of the stakes and not wanting to make mistakes. It was, it was, I mean, to say it was a disappointing postseason and end to the year, it was is just the understatement of a century. So, um, you know, um, unfortunate that's the way it ended. And uh, it was an exciting season. But obviously, it's just because it was such an exciting year where they achieved so much individually and team-wise, it absolutely uh, just makes it, to, in my mind, a lot worse and probably a, a, just a more stunning, unfulfilled feeling for not only inside the team, but definitely the fan base. I mean, we definitely learned that. Uh <laughs> I, I see it every day on Twitter. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed this live room. We'll do more of them. Um, again, I'm covering the the probably the Eastern Conference final and the Stanley Cup final, so we'll definitely uh, see a lot of. Uh, we'll probably do these again. I'll do a mailbag also before I take uh, take off for that as well. So hopefully everybody enjoyed these live rooms. Again, this will be my podcast this week for Straight from the Source. Um, we have podcasts throughout our network. Two of my really good friends are are on other podcasts this week. Uh, Rangers beat writer Arthur Staple joins the Athletic, um, joins the roundtable with Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and Sarah Sivian this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. And Kevin Kerr is our Islanders writer, uh, talks about the Islanders' uh, very stunning offseason with firing Barry Trotz and uh, hi- and hiring Lane Lambert. He joins the Athletic Hockey Show with Craig Custance and Sean Gentile this week. 
Um, you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform or leave a rating and review. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on the Apple Podcast to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Stay with a thirty. Start with a thirty-day free trial, then just ninety-nine cents a month after that. And right now, get an annual subscription to the Athletic for just a buck a month when you go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Again, a buck a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash slash straight from the source. Hope everybody enjoyed this live room. Uh, really uh, sorry that the uh, season ended the way that it did, but hopefully you enjoyed uh, my coverage and the athletics coverage. The athletics hockey coverage right now is just unbelievable. Just great stories every single day. So hope everybody enjoys that and talk to you uh, next week, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>